we live in a divided world, rich or poor, educated or illiterate, privileged or excluded. We don't have to look very far before we can find countless examples of the way that we fall to one side or other of a division, be it a big one or a small one, because of the circumstances of our lives. For example, our nationality, our education, our wealth. Our very identity is often bound up in those divisions. Many years ago, I experienced a very stark example of division based on, on identity, which has stayed with me ever since. In the 1970s, I was a volunteer teacher in a secondary school in a village in Botswana. The village was entirely African, apart from a mission church run by white South Africans from the Dutch Reformed Church. Now, the first Sunday I was there, I went to church with the headmaster and his wife, both of whom were black Africans. Now, my first surprise when I entered the building was that the headmaster and his wife didn't sit together because men and women sat in separate parts of the church. So I duly went with the headmaster's wife, and I sat with the other women. However, I was soon approached by one of the mission staff and beckoned forward to a raised stage in the front of the church. And there I was invited to sit in a privileged position with the minister in a thin line of white Europeans, the mission doctor and his family and the rest of the mission staff. I felt most uncomfortable, to say the least. What was my primary identity there? Was it as a teacher, or a woman, or a white person, or a Christian? In this particular situation, it seemed that race trumped everything else. And I wondered how my boss, the headmaster, felt about it all. Now, I tell that story because we come this week to a passage which is all about our primary identity, our identity as Christians. Paul uses an illustration about the divisions which were prevalent in Ephesus at the time at which he was writing, specifically the division between Gentile and Jew, to teach the Ephesians about the reconciling work of Christ and the consequences of that for our own identity as Christians. And I want to look at each of those in turn this morning. Ephesus was a prosperous trading center. It had a community of both Greeks and Jews. We read in Acts that Paul, the Jew, started his ministry in Ephesus by preaching to the Jews. But when he met with a mixed reception, he transferred his focus to the Greeks or Gentiles. And by the time that Paul was writing, the Christian church in the area would probably have comprised both Jews and Greeks but it was also predominantly Gentile. Now, we don't know for sure, but given the tensions that we find in other places in the New Testament between Jews and Gentiles in the early Christian church, 
It seems likely that those tensions existed in Ephesus as well. The Jews were used to the privilege of being God's only chosen people. And the Gentiles, in the wake of a fast-growing Gentile church, probably thought that God's mantle had now passed on to them. And I suspect that each group looked down on the other. So Paul first addresses the Gentile Christians and reminds them of their former identity. So who were these Gentile Christians before they came to Christ? What was their former identity? And by implication, it's our former identity as well, because we're Gentiles too. And Paul paints a pretty bleak picture. Gentiles were excluded by birth and by circumcision from the Jews, God's chosen people. And there was nothing that they could do about that. They couldn't become a citizen of Israel. They had to be born into that nation. They were excluded from all the promises that God had made to Israel. So spiritually speaking, it was as if they were foreigners, stateless, with no spiritual history or future, even if they believed in God and they wanted to worship him. And this is vividly illustrated by the way that the Jews and the Gentiles were separated out in the temple at Jerusalem. And if we could have the first slide up. Um, you see here the um, temple complex and the temple itself is right in the middle, that little building right in the middle, and just around the temple complex were a, a, was a courtyard flanked by a series of buildings. And the Jews were allowed there, but if you go further outwards, there is um, an outer courtyard, which is called the Court of the Gentiles, and if you can see, there is a wall all the way around it, and no Gentile could actually enter, could actually pass through that barrier to um, get into the inner courtyard. And at intervals all the way round that perimeter, there were large stones with inscriptions on them in Greek and Latin. Those were the main Gentile languages of the day. And uh, they have actually... Um, uh, archaeologists have, have found some of these stones and the stones say no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death which will follow. Now the Jews believed that they came closest to God in the temple itself and that God's presence dwelled in the holy of holies in the temple, where only the Jewish priests were allowed. The Gentiles were excluded from the temple. They couldn't even come near. So no wonder Paul summed up the Gentiles' former, former, former identity. No matter how prosperous and successful they might have been, summed it up as without hope 
and without God in the world. Now, I'd like to pause a moment here and ask you to imagine what it must have felt like as a Gentile, permanently excluded by birth, no matter how rich or clever you were, you could never buy or earn yourself citizenship of Israel. Physically excluded, you couldn't draw near to God by joining in with the worship at the temple. And you had no hope or expectation of reversing that. I wonder how that might resonate with us today. Now, some of you here will have been brought up in Christian homes and never known what it felt like to be outside a Christian community and far away from God. Just imagine for a moment what it might be like for someone who's on the outside looking in, as those Ephesian Gentiles were. Does the church, do we unthinkingly put barriers up. Just think about that for a moment. Conversely, you may feel that you're here today, part of Holy Trinity, and yet you feel far away from God. You're physically on the inside, but spiritually you're on the outside looking in. Would you like to be in a different place? Well, wherever we are, Paul's next words are relevant to all of us as he describes the work of Christ, the work of Christ in our lives. Now, the Gentile Christians to whom Paul was writing were now in a very different place. They were in a very different place from that one that Paul had just asked them to remember. Paul starts his comparison with the words, but now in Christ, in verse 13. No longer far away from God. They've been brought near to him. As Paul continues in verse 13, brought near to him through the blood of Christ. What does this mean? Well, quite simply, that in Jesus' death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. And however imperfect we are, we can draw near to God and we can be in relationship with him. Paul uses that dramatic illustration of the Jerusalem temple to bring his point home. When he says in verse 14, Christ has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Gentiles are no longer excluded. They could, as it were, now enter the temple and draw near to God. And in addition, the barrier separating Jew from Gentile, um, in addition to that, there was another barrier in the temple. There was a great curtain in the temple itself, one that prevented the Jewish people from entering the Holy of Holies, that special place in the temple where God himself was believed to dwell. Now, when Christ died on the cross, Matthew records in his gospel that the curtain of the temple 
was torn from the top to the bottom. And that tearing of the temple curtain was a wonderful sign for Jews that Jesus' death makes it possible for believers to go directly into God's presence without fear. Paul describes Christ as our peace, that is to say the peacemaker between us and God. Our sin no longer prevents us from drawing near to a holy God. And that holds true for whoever we are, Jew or Gentile. Christ destroyed all the barriers that separate us from God. No one need be far away from him. Now that breaking down of the dividing wall of hostility between us and God also has the effect of breaking down the barriers that lie between different peoples. Because if our primary identity is the identity that we have as Christians in Christ, then our identity as Gentile or Jew, British or Bangladeshi becomes secondary. In Christ, we are a single new humanity in unity with one another. So let's explore that new identity in Christ a little further, as Paul did. He explores the consequences for the Ephesian Gentile Christians of being reconciled to God. So instead of being excluded, aliens, foreigners, unable to gain Jewish citizenship, they, and we, automatically become fellow citizens with God's chosen people. And Paul uses a much more intimate analogy in verse 19 when he says that we are members of God's household, Jews and Gentiles in Christ. We are all fellow members of God's family, close to God and close to each other. It's not something that we've earned or bought but it's something that we have become by God's grace. Paul continues to use the analogy of the temple to make a further point about our new identity as Christians, which I personally think is quite mind-blowing when we consider the starting point of our former identity, alienated and far away from God. Because Paul says in verses 20 to 22 that in Christ... All of us, Jew and Gentile, are being built into a spiritual temple in which God himself dwells. And so just as bricks or stones are mortared together to form a building, so we are joined together in Christ, who's depicted here as being the chief cornerstone in verse 20. This cornerstone or foundation stone is the one that's laid first. All the other stones are laid in reference to it. And that's the one that determines the shape of the whole building. So from a starting point of being far away from God, excluded by it from his presence, in Christ, not only are we reconciled to God, but we're reconciled to one another, intimately joined together into a spiritual building in which God himself dwells. Paul's taken us on quite a journey in these few verses. How about our new 
identity in Christ impact on the way we live. I think that Paul's message to the Ephesians to remember where they come from must have been both humbling and encouraging to them. And I think the same can also hold true for us. Paul's message to those proud, prosperous Ephesians was, first of all, a humbling one, especially to anyone who thought that they were morally, socially, or materially superior to their neighbor. Paul's exhortation to remember the poverty of our former identity without Christ and without hope reminds us that without Christ, we are all separated from God. Now, there's an old saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The cross of Christ is a great leveler of all humankind. All are equal before God at the cross. However good or bad a life we've led, we've all fallen short. And as we learned last week, salvation can't be earned. There's nothing that we have that we can boast about. All of us, without exception, are in need of God's grace. So let's remember that when we're tempted to compare ourselves favorably with others. But on the other hand, remembering our former former identity can be tremendously affirming and encouraging to us as Christians. When we compare where we were then to where we are now, from aliens and strangers to citizens and members of God's family. And if we feel far away from God, it is at the level ground of the cross that we we experience God's grace so freely and generously given to all of us. And so be encouraged that Christ has done all that's needed to enable us to draw near to God. If we're united in Christ, then we're also united with each other. It's a bit like a triangle with God at the apex of the triangle and us at the sort of bottom corners. The closer we come to God, sort of up the sides of the triangle, as the triangle narrows, so we come closer to each other. Christ calls us to be reconciled to one another, and the Christian church should always be in the forefront of peace and reconciliation. I started off today with a stark example of that church in Botswana that perpetuated division because it had lost its prophetic voice and couldn't disentangle itself from the prevailing apartheid culture in South Africa. Its primary identity was not in Christ, but in the race to which its congregational members belonged. In 1992, two years after Nelson Mandela had been released from prison, the Dutch Reformed Church denounced apartheid as a sin. But in practice, their churches remain mostly segregated to this day. The establishment of the Truth and Reconciliation um, uh, Committee um, in South Africa later, thankfully, was a work of God's Holy Spirit moving amongst other Christians in South Africa because it was an initiative led by other prominent South African Christians and it was something that was critical in post-apartheid South Africa um, in restoring peace and democracy 
to a previously divided country. And God's Spirit was at work in that country through the medium of, of, of other Christians. Now, some divisions still exist. Those of us who visited Israel on one of the um, HTC pilgrimages would have seen the, the modern day dividing wall of hostility. That's the separation barrier, which was constructed to separate Israeli Jews from Palestinian Arabs. When Philip attended the Lausanne Conference in Cape Town in 2010, that was a conference that drew Christians together from all over the world, he recalls witnessing a Messianic Jew and a Christian Palestinian, individuals from opposite sides of that separation barrier, appearing on the stage together and talking about their unity in Christ Jesus, a unity that surmounted the political and the racial divisions. Now, the divisions in Israel are deep-seated, but as Christians, we have a tremendous advantage when it comes to promoting peace and reconciliation because we've experienced reconciliation with God firsthand. And so we know how good it is. And God asks us to model it to others. It's not easy. You know, you've only got to listen to the news um, to realize that or look at the divisions within the church today. But today, of all days, Pentecost Sunday we should be reminded of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to help us. In a minute, we are going to share the peace of Christ together. Now, it's something that we normally only do in the context of a communion service, but we're going to do it today as a reminder that we're here, not just as individuals, but as a community united together, a community whose primary identity is in Christ. So let's rejoice in the fellowship that we have with each other and be both humbled and encouraged by remembering God's grace to us. So let's pray.